So I notice I don't. I have no intro. There's no like fancy like segue or nothing. It's usually like so friend. <laughs> I, I, I notice that so is something I say these days. But in the past, when I listened to other ones, it was like um. I say um because I was really quite not yet farther along with yeah the why around everything. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of a little a bit of a lag. Yeah, not entirely present. Uh, would you be willing to tell us your name while I light this candle and start start this thing going? Absolutely. So, <laughs> my name is Harry Hudson Taylor, and I'm here in Neukölln in Berlin mm-hmm. with wonderful Brody. Thanks for coming to hang out. A midday chill, so nice. I noticed it felt like it. I haven't been outside. Yes, I have been outside. It was kind of chilly. Yeah, I had a nice cycle over here. Was it nice? Yeah, I purposely went even slightly detoured and into the Tempelhofer Feld just to uh, experience the vastness. Yeah, I bet there wasn't too many people there today. No, it's lovely. I miss that vastness. Like, I love living in Berlin, but coming from Dublin in Ireland, the buildings are all two stories average where I live at least, and mm-hmm. right beside the sea. So, like, there's so much expansive sky. I love going to Tempelhof because it's like, that experience of just like, oh, vast sky, openness, I'm small, like, but everything's open. I love that. When you're there, do you feel the city is still buzzing around you or do you get to like calm down? Does it work I for you? I find it really calming, yeah. Because yeah. it, it's usually a, a bit of a wind as well. So you get that experience of... That's true. The wind just blowing on your ears. You can't really hear. You can maybe hear a very distant hum from the city, but it feels sort of like a beautiful kind of solitude about it. You can kind of check the markers, like the city markers. Like, oh, there's the fencing to them. Okay, so that's Mitte over there. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, totally. It's cool to look at the map and be like, wow, there's this gigantic chunk that just f- so far won't be developed. Yeah. You know? Amazing. Diligently. The, the social awareness that people have around how quickly things get fucked up. Yeah, and those of those mm-hmm. people who I know who've come to Berlin, like, they, they don't even know about it. So any friends who I who have visited me, not that I've had many opportunities because of the world we've been in, but I've always bring them there and they're like, this is amazing, this is amazing. Yeah. Just hop on a bike and just cycle around, it's beautiful. I mean, historically, what a, an important space too, you know? Hmm. Um, and to think that at one point it was a fully functioning commercial, or like, you know, human airport, then turned commercial airport, then, then like base. the, yeah. And then it got, it was closed, and so people, of course, as people do here, you jump over the fence, or there was no fence, and then there became a fence, and then, then they opened it to the public, and then that neighborhood started to become desirable because no longer flights were going over the top of your head yeah. several times a day, and now it's closed with like a cattle gate. You know, like it's interesting, and of course, the next phase was like, oh, let's let's develop this place, like yeah, yeah. it's foreign investment or maybe. German investment regardless mm-hmm. and people are like no thou shall not you know yeah. I mean I wouldn't be opposed to tr- more trees or anything but I, I agree with you the vastness is really special mm. the just actually empty space yeah and then you got here and the buzzer the buzzer is really funny you really gotta like stick your finger and like press for a good time before it buzzes mm, absolutely to be back in, in in this space when's the last time probably working Steps, yeah, we worked the steps a few, for a few few different steps together in this little space in this corner, so it feels like home. I think it was six months ago was the last time we were. I last was time actually, you did it? Yeah. 
did you have you been sponsoring folks via more often than not Zoom? Because that's what I've been doing, and it's been really. It's really useful. I find to yeah. do that. I like still. Th- there was always an importance for me about the ritual of certain steps. Feel like they need to be done in person, or they they deserve to be done in person. The connection that I want that you want to achieve. I found that. Yeah, I do a couple of things with people. The first few steps together in person. Yeah, those yeah. in particular. Yeah. Because you don't know the person? Because you don't know them, want to get to know them maybe. And then as it goes goes on, maybe in the time when they're working on their fourth step or something, and you know, maybe some people take a few weeks to do that, I might just say, hey, do you want to still meet up this week and just do it on Zoom? That's when I introduced the idea of kind of doing Zooms, and it works really well. Do you try and do a meeting a week? Like with each, to try and keep a rhythm with each person? Yeah, pretty yeah. much, yeah. I think that's a good yeah, way. Like an hour a week or whatever. Yeah, feels like a nice block of time. Are you doing the 11 a.m. thing? Did you pick up that? at What a beautiful time. For me, 11 a.m. works so Oh, yeah, well. sorry, as a time, yeah. 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 So good, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I model my kind of sponsorship on the way that you, that you were doing it. So I feel like... Yeah, a lot of those same things. 11 o'clock? Has that so Yeah. <laughs> Do you have 11 at Thursday? Every Thursday so. till you're done. <laughs> and of course, there's never done, mm. per se. But the work, the heavy lifting, yeah. pen to paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you, I can't remember, are you pen to paper or did you do it digitally? I can't remember. You did pen to paper, didn't you? Did it both. Did it both. I think, I think the pen to paper, the first time around feels like a real rite of passage. Yeah, like I you think need you're to, right. need to do that. And it still works. I still do it every now and again. And I remember the first time I did it, it was like, I genuinely hadn't done that for, for 10 years. Written so, anything. Written on anything paper. on paper. <laughs> so I'd been in school, out of school, on the road, you know, touring. And then, <laughs> what the hell? And then you landed yourself needing to do these steps. And it'd be interesting <laughs> to talk about that if you, if you feel comfortable. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I had yeah. a feeling you might. Yeah. Um, so then the last couple, you arrived... In Berlin. Yeah. To stay. To stay literally at the, the, the start of the pandemic, March 2020. Yeah. Again. And you were straight already in the rooms? I was in the rooms at that point, six months. Yeah. Yeah. And Fresh. We met then in May, so only a couple months later. And we were in lockdown come May. Yeah. But then that was that lockdown different because we were meeting in person because the rules have always changed, but we met. Yeah, I think I saw you on a meeting online, and then the next time I saw you was in person. Oh, that's right. It was online, actually. Yeah. So that means that we were allowed to meet one another, mm-hmm. or whatever, at that time. Yeah. These, it was like pre-masks and all this kind of stuff, too, yeah, right? exactly. Wow, shit fucking changes. Right. Yeah. I mean, I listened to the news today, and hearing about what's up in England, it's just like... Yeah, it, I mean, I've just had a... I was supposed to be playing a show coming up on New Year's Eve, and it's cancelled. Was it going to be in England? In Ireland. So, I have flights back to go to Ireland. I'm not sure if I will. In this case, I hope they would give you some sort of good shine. I hope so, yeah. Sorry to hear that. Because we heard you play the other day, of course. It was a, not of course, but yeah. First time playing without your brother yeah. in a little club here. And you yeah. had your partner also joined you. And you were talking about how important, I'll be paraphrasing maybe poorly, but important... The Christmas time in relation to having grown up busking and yeah. and that time of being around family and singing traditionally all throughout your life anyhow. Yeah, Christmas was, has been historically really important for cultivating that connection to home for me. Yeah. It's the thing that makes me feel the most at home. 
even though I didn't necessarily have a family home centering around it, it was more just like the activities. So it was obviously like maybe around drinking initially, but <laughs> yeah, well. of course, you know, but um, so much music infused with it. I, most of my attention was focused on being in, in all the places where the most musical jams I knew were going to happen. Trying like a b- bit of a desperate energy about me wanting to be like understanding where, where are they going to go? Where, where's going to be the latest night? Because I wanted to be part of the, the music. I love like jam sessions, late night jam sessions, people passing around guitars. And Dublin around Christmas is like, the, it's beautiful. You know, they do this thing on Christmas Eve, it's quite a famous thing for the, the Simon community, which is a homeless charity. Okay. And uh, it started, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago with like a couple of um, famous bands in Ireland going on the street and just, just busking for free. And it, it really started to gain a crowd. Like, so, Who were they? So I think the initial people might have been like Damien Rice uh-huh. and the Hothouse Flowers and Glenn Hansard, who's the person who produced the film once and right okay and and then it became bono you know and like down through the years more and more kind of heads turned up and so it became this kind of really famous thing on christmas eve that just the whole street grafton street this pedestrianized street would be completely packed with people standing on bins and and whatever just trying to see into this small little yeah concave a little bit where people were, were like Bono or whoever it is just doing their songs doing some Christmas songs doing classic Christmas songs doing pogues and all that sort of stuff so over the years as we started busking me and my brother we'd go we were like 16 17 18 and we'd be trying to get their attention we'd have our guitars and everything and eventually probably like three or four years later when we'd started to make a bit more of a name for ourselves we were invited up there so we're just there right in the center of it all no yeah with all these Really? really? Yeah, amazing people. Like, just being right in the center with. There's loads of hilarious videos, and the police always try to get you to move on, and you know, it's health and safety issues and all yeah. that sort of stuff. But then the aftermath was always that we'd all then go straight from there, get snuck into these back alleyways off the street, and into into a pub, like into a really cozy pub, and <laughs> pints of Guinness all around, and late nights, and just jamming, passing the guitar around. Who, who can who can bring out the best energy in the in the room it's almost like everyone's trying to one up each other on who can bring out the most like joyful tune or whatever <laughs> it's, yeah. great. it's great that sounds so much like film like i just think i don't know i just think of shane mcgowan or like yeah it's just like that like the pose and yeah that sort of stuff it yeah there's nothing quite like it really i feel and that's what really kind of i'm missing this year and last year as well the previous also with our with our band the band that i play with it's like we then became we made a thing that around the first the last week up to christmas we would do first time we did like one night at wheelands and the next year it was like two and then three then we had by the end of it we were doing six nights in a row at this venue which is like a, it's like a 500 cap venue i mean that's a lot of people it's a lot of people but it's you know you could do just one theater but it's like no we're gonna do six nights in this little place so you have like this you know, it's a, a residency. Totally. Right in the centre of the t- of town. Yeah. On the week right up to going to Christmas. I was just like, my favorite. That's like, yeah. That, that's the thing, man. It was <sighs> so exhausting, but really, like, I think of it really fondly. I remember it really fondly. It was probably a little bit traumatic because, you know. It's <laughs> a lot of expectation for you. To... High expectations, yeah. charged energies, family, all that sort of stuff. But. And friends, I guess. Like. And friends. But now it just seems like an alien experience to even think about 
how how just just the nature of the way the world's changed. It feels that feels so far away. It must have been so hard to let go slash accept. Big time, yeah. Grafton Street. So I mean, only from songs do I know of Grafton Street because I've been I intended. I had a layover in Dublin intentionally so I could walk around, but I was super sick. I was on tour, so I just stayed in a hotel and mm-hmm. never actually stepped foot into town. And mm-hmm. um, Grafton Street probably has gone through a big yeah. spit shine. It it just, to be honest, now it just looks like any high street that you'd have in a German city. Big it, box. Just the exact same kind of thing with the same type of um, tiling on the floor, on the, on, the, on the pavement, on the ground. The thing that used to be really beautiful about it is it had these like old red brick and they took it out they took it out and replaced it with the kind of you know easier to clean right concrete slab type granite looking thing which it just it looks really modern and whatever but it, it did i do feel it lost its charm a little bit and also what they did is they brought in about five or six years ago they brought in a, a licensing system for busking which is great in a way but i don't know when i started it so i'm an old hat at this point <laughs> when we started busking 12 years ago it was like free for all. You just had to get there early and try and like. Okay. Now it's like you have to be there, finish your slot ah. within an hour, all that kind of stuff, which is similar to the German system they have here. You know, it is good. It's good to regulate it, but it feels like a little bit more. Yeah, it doesn't feel as um open as it did when I when I was starting out. Were you surprised to know that the Germans had a system like that? <laughs> we we found out because one time. <laughs> <laughs> Myself and my brother, Alfie, like we, we, a couple, we had this idea in like 2015 when we released our first album. We said to the record label, like, who ended up dropping us anyways, I didn't really care, but it was like, we're going to go and do a busking tour around Europe to try and like hype up our tour that we had the next month. Yeah. And that's what we did. So we went all around, like we went, we took the, we were living in London at the time, took the Euro, started Paris. Then we, uh, there had been a terrorist threat in Paris the main Bahnhof in, in, in the main train station in uh, yeah. in, in Paris. In Garde Nord? Which one? Garde Nord, yeah, on this day. And so when we arrived, they like hurried us out of the station and then... No shit, yeah, like right there. Yeah, and then we weren't allowed to take our train that we wanted to. We actually wanted to go that day straight to Amsterdam after we'd been kind of mulling around Paris, did our Paris busk. Then we were going to go straight to Amsterdam. So we got, we got there and it was like, nope, trains are cancelled, terrorist attack terrorist threat or whatever and uh so we took a blah blah car <laughs> did <laughs> to, you blah blah the whole way yeah well, that's a long way yeah it's like three hours or something well no the, that's it, it? Should, should be four hours but the guy was like i can do it in three he absolutely blasted his way up there it's only four hours away yeah yeah yeah. on a like middle of the day when the traffic's not bad yeah that's basically it so anyway we went there we went to amsterdam Ramsam we went in, across to Hamburg and then we went down went to Berlin and we went down to Cologne. We went all the way through Germany. But like I think it was in Cologne we were busking in underneath the, the Dom, like the, the cathedral there. And it's like we were there for t- for like twenty minutes and this this person, like, you know, an ordinary person come up, came along and just gave us this piece of paper. Was it a fine? It wasn't a fine. It was like <laughs> it was like nearly thought it was a fine. It's just a piece of paper that literally said like it says like it's like you can't busk in the first half an hour of any hour. That is so interesting. Yeah, so it was like, you can only busk from the 30 to the to the o'clock in every hour. And so we were like, I didn't understand it at first. And was it in German or in several it, languages? It was, it was just written in a, almost like in, like in symbols. 
I was like, what, what? And uh, we were still playing. Like she was like holding it up to us while we were playing. And, you know, you have loads of stuff like that that would happen when you were busking. Like a police person would try to move you on. But the funniest thing is that like, if you have a big enough crowd, they, they just, they don't want to up, get upset. They don't want to upset the crowd. So that like, you know, oh. if you get a good crowd and they're like, you're really making good vibes, a police person's not going to, really stop you they might catch you for a second but mostly this this was what, what our trick was it was like we'd never stop <laughs> we just like it's <laughs> like just just go to the next song like and we just like segue and we'd have all these like really elaborate long segues that the songs would last 15 minutes you know and, and they just get bored they just get bored and walk off <laughs> <laughs> like fuck these people dude. they don't get it <laughs> yeah. they're not from here yeah <laughs> and I mean, you go where the people are, right? You don't hope to, like, attract in a... You just go... Depends, yeah. I mean, like... Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an art form in a way because you, you, you learn how to... Like, it's like where you kind of hone the craft. Because you're, you're playing on the street. No one's there to see you. So you have to do some stuff to, like, get attention. Yeah. Like, my favourite thing to do was a little bit of acrobatics. While playing the guitar, I would jump up onto, like a pillar or bollard or a bin or a post box so it was like standing like 10 20 15 foot you know up and my brother would be down on the bottom playing and we'd be jamming back and forth to each other that kind of stuff but then there was also this nice thing of like finding a space that would be maybe more like in the alcoves of a church or someone that's like more acoustically beautiful sounding and and sometimes you'd just be playing much more chilled out stuff and that would be the, the, the ticket for that particular space, you know, because like screaming at the top of your throat and or at the top of your voice, you know, for, it gets tiring for one, but also it's kind of tiring for everyone else as well. Like sometimes the mood of the city doesn't really feel like it wants the, <laughs> to be screamed at. It wants a bit more of a like subtle, you know, delicacy or something. Yeah, trying yeah. to attract, that's impressive, you know, like you don't want to push people away. Yeah, exactly. So it's... Obviously, anyway, regardless, people are going to get, some people are going to be annoyed, some people are going to like it, but it was really good, it was a really good way to, like, gauge a city, you know. Do you find that, for the most part, the people you might be attracting, if it's the weekend, are tourists? Yeah, yeah, and Dublin was fantastic for that. When we started, it was 2010 is when we probably started busking, and the... We bring us. I was way ahead of. I was way ahead of everyone else. I had QR codes in two thousand and ten. <laughs> you were ready to like channel them into yeah your... into our social media stuff, you know. So I had like a little sign, uh, band name and Facebook and YouTube and whatever, and a QR code. You're a hustler. I had a QR code on the guitar in two thousand and ten. <laughs> I saw a funny thing there the other day saying like. It's been a real year for the QR code. It's made a real comeback, you know. <laughs> Due to the fact that we need it for all these... We're needing it more than ever. Yeah. It nearly went away, right? Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. People get that shit tattooed on them, and it works. It's yeah. impressive. Yeah, mad. Like, I would think it would be much more precise. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the probability, like, I don't know. I guess it's like a barcode. It's the modern-day barcode, you know, yeah. barcode. But... It just doesn't, as a precise science of like putting it on the skin science, I don't know, whatever you call the thing that we do, 
It's not that precise, <clears throat> but it's effective. Yeah. People were like getting little animations popping up from their QR code on their phone after yeah, having a tattoo. Yeah, using, using augmented reality and stuff. Yeah. 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 So yeah, we, we, we just basically would go out and to be honest, the whole thing of going busking in the first place was just a response to the recession. Like Ireland in 2008 and 9 and 10 was so depressing. Yeah. That's just when I was kind of coming out of school. Yeah. Um, finishing like high school and about to be going into university. So like our busking was like basically our mum saying, I don't have any money to give you. Like, go out there and use your talents. Make money. I can't, like, I can't literally give you any pocket money. I can't do it. If you want to have, if you want to go out of the weekends, go and play on the streets. So that's what we did. You know? And you were familiar with other people doing it, like it was no. just. No. <laughs> but I mean, wasn't it super cultural, or people weren't busking? There were people busking. We just it was completely alien to us. Yeah. You just learn it as soon as you're there. You're like, oh, this is a thing. There's like a whole community. So then you didn't spend time down on Grafton Street as a kid because you're from there, so you don't go down to the high street. Not but... really. You don't really go. Like, if you do, you're in there to do your shopping, and you were like, for me, it was like video game shopping or whatever, or. You know, I might have stopped and watched a busker for a little bit, but unless you're like, I think it became at that point, it became a known thing. It started being written about in tourist books around that time because of this big film, Once, which is about bus a busker, which was which won an Oscar and everything. So I think around yeah, it was around two thousand and eight or nine. So it became like a, a cultural yeah, something that people know about. Oh yeah, Dublin, Ireland, people, street performers, musicians playing in pubs on the street. It's like this. People know it now because it's like, it's like exported, you know. Mm. Cultural capital, sort of. Yeah. But also really important. Totally. Because it was your kind of public training ground. Yeah. And, and recruiting then... of people who like it. Because if they like it, they would find it online. And, you know, they'd, they'd search it up and they'd spread it around the world because it's a tourist capital, so. You know, you find very quickly from that start, you have little heartbeats in Argentina or like <laughs> Australia or whatever because they saw you that time. Well, somebody came up to you at the venue and said, hey, how can I find you on social media? Yeah, exactly. That sort of thing. How do you find that? I, I don't know. I find that hard. Or I would find that hard if I were you having performed and then like... I don't know, trying to be chill after and see your friends mm. and someone coming up and be like, hey, how can I find you on social media? Like to, to like go from one connection to like, okay, switch. This is like hairy business person. Go, hey, hey, I'm giving you my attention. Here's the, here's, here's us. Yeah, goodness. I mean. How do you do that? Practice? Well, it's definitely practice for sure, but I, I, mean, I don't think of it too much. What, what used to be obviously a fantastic bridging point was drinking which which i don't do <laughs> anymore what, what's your sober date my well well i'm actually i haven't drank for over two years but i did have this a little slip up um so i think with 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 uh smoking smoking some some sweet sweet marijuana um but yeah i think i'm six just over six months so sober but i mean you know i've been in this recovery thing for for two and a half years so the trajectory has had its own, it's just done its thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that that thing of coming off stage and transitioning yeah. from like performing yeah. to... All eyes on me to... Yeah, to like also like, okay, 
stay try and like regulate yourself come down to nervous system nervous system you know could come down use any kind of grounding techniques my old grounding techniques was have a beer (laughs) my new grounding did it work (laughs) it did it did it did to a point yeah of course it's like the high of performing you you want to either sustain that high keep going for the rest of the night or just like help it to chill down a little bit and so you associate the drinking of a beer with that chilling down effect but as we know if you have this particular chemical makeup one is isn't never enough so that's that's why every time after a gig i pretty much be out until you know all hours are you of the chemical makeup or the like do you believe in the the i don't know the enzyme or the gene or the predisposition or the you know allergy or is it the mind i I mean for you is it behavioral it's it's or historical i'd say it's a mixture of all those things yeah it's kind of i'm asking the question i know the answer to yeah it's a mixture of all those things and it's, it's not exactly easy to pinpoint but i can say that the last time that i did experience this little slip i had yeah that the moment that there was a mind-altering substance in my system. It was enough for me, my whole mind, to become way more dominant in my awareness. And so in terms of thoughts that were quite shaming, harmful to me, beating myself up, just way louder than I'm than on my any any other given day. You know, I meditate most days, and so I've experienced a good degree of <laughs> of serenity, thankfully. But this was experience of just this little smoking of a of a of a spliff it was like oh my god that's that's it my serenity's gone <laughs> you called and i had the inclination that you had something to tell me mm. but you were also very chill which was great you weren't freaking out and you're also away making music so it was like could have been much more yeah yeah could have been way preca- more precarious or it was precarious i suppose yeah but you had grace yeah through it well the work that you, that you do beforehand hopefully would you know like so i think a lot of people say like and, and it's a good warning they say it to people who are getting trying to get clean and sober like you know i don't know if i make it back here if i go out again uh, you me. know yeah i've allowed myself to f- fear that that's into a, that's my a that's i think reality. that's a good fear to have because yeah what like why would why would you waste waste this thing and i did feel a little bit like one of the currencies I held was my sobriety date. So I did feel and I have still felt a little bit like, oh, I should be able, be able to be counting more days than I am and all this kind of stuff. Do you feel like you're counting days since that slip or no? No. Just like a little hiccup? Yeah. 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 And you just like got a bit higher. Did you go for it? I went for it. Like, <laughs> like well, I'm here now. Because well, you know. I would be like that. I'd be like, all right, where's the dealer? You know, like it was like. It wasn't where's the dealer because I was in the middle of nowhere and, you know, it was more just like... Where's right, the just, kids with the weed? Yeah, I'll just, I'll just smoke the rest of this entirely and then, like, suddenly I'm looking on dating apps and everything, like... Boom, snowball. Snowball. The behavior is like, oh, I'm just going to go down to the hotel bar and, like... Did you? I, I tried to do all these things and it was actually, like, a mixture of I'm going to the hotel bar because I have, I'm hungry because I've, yeah. munch- I've got the munchies. Uh-huh. But also, <laughs> if I do see someone attractive here, you know what I mean? It was this kind of, like... Yeah. But what if somebody was there? I wonder, you know, there would have been someone selling 
little half gram baggies of coke i'm sure come nighttime and like possibly yeah this is a monday night or something <laughs> <laughs> in dorset where we in somerset somerset yeah uh but you didn't the alcohol wasn't like hey harry no no how was what enough, you, was, what's the differentiation how did I'm you not sure i think did you have enough withdrawal or like i think time i time away be honest with you i think you know the way in the step steps the one the, the one step it's like you're powerless over I always knew, like, from the start, I was like, alcohol's could not, not working. Every time I drink, I always end up doing the crazy stuff. But I never put marijuana in that category, I think. You know, I didn't... I it didn't feel like it was in that category? No, I didn't feel like it was. It was just, like, casual... It's a yeah, bit of a downer. And it's not that I did then do it. For, obviously, I didn't do it for nearly two years, but... Yeah. But you didn't feel like you needed to quit it. You, you had to quit drinking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... And why did you have to quit drinking? What? I mean, I, I know. Being, oh, okay. Well, I can give you a bit of the backstory. Cause yeah, it's let's like, hear it. So like, two thousand sixteen. Yeah. I, I broke my leg while playing football at a music festival. I don't know. I don't know that part of the story. Do you not? No. Okay. Well, I broke my leg and really, really badly <laughs> broke oh, my leg. Shit. Extremely excruciating pain, and I found myself at hospital. And I had a lovely partner at the time who was really careful, caring and looked after me. And I was in, living in the UK and I went back to London to get surgery. And while I was having surgery... We went to London or Dublin? In London, yeah. yeah. Oh. Um, I, while, while I was you know, being prepped for surgery in this hospital, you know, I was like on morphine. I was on just like some pain meds because my leg was like basically... Like, I completely cracked my shin bone. And... Um, yeah, the person who I was in a relationship with um, found some messages on, on my iPad of that basically I'd be cheating, cheating on this person. And it was like, yeah. I got caught and I was caught out and it sent me into a huge spiral. Yeah. And I remember calling one of my best friends at the time and telling them what happened. And, and she reflected to me, she was like, but Harry, this stuff is always happening to you. Like, I think you need to get help. And I was in enough of a space of like, just, I was alone in hospital, no friends, family, anything. I'd just been broken up with. But this person was like, yeah. see you fucking later, cheese. Exactly. Fair play. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Bottom. Bottom. Total bottom on this hospital bed, completely alone, was just bawling out, crying out for help. And yeah, this good friend of mine just said what I needed to hear at that moment. It's like, you need just get help. Like, what's, what, why are you so resistant to, to changing? Is that somebody in person? Like somebody you knew in London? or No, someone on the phone, a friend from back home. Yeah, I wouldn't, so like an old friend. An old friend who knew me for, at that point over 10 years. And so then the surgery went well and I went back home to Ireland on a ferry <laughs> in a wheelchair. Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. And, uh, well, I had crutches, and, but when I was on the ferry, they put me in a wheelchair and it was like the stormiest seas and I just... It was crazy. <laughs> How long is that? Where do you where do you sail from? Sail from um, Hollyhead, just kind of near North Wales, near Manchester, sort of thing, and um, we went back to Ireland and come back to to my mum's house, and my mum and my older sister and my younger sister kind of just looked after me, nursed me back to health. I hadn't been in Ireland at that point really very much because we've been living in London for about five years at that Wait. point. Can music happen in 
right? Is it, you were in London to make music happen. I was in there to make music happen, yeah. I should say that when I broke my leg, we were, it was a music festival we were playing at. I was wondering if that was the deal. <laughs> my brother then did that entire show. Alone? Alone, just with, to, with the band. And like I, okay. I watched it on, on, uh, on Skype from the hospital bed. So that's crazy. But anyway, I got back home. Alfie coming through. <laughs> yeah. Alfie pulled it out of the bag and I got home and my older sister, Chelsea, basically echoed the same thing that my friend had said to me. Okay. My friend, um, you know, said, I, I've said this to you before, Harry, like, have you ever thought about going to therapy? You know, this might be an opportunity to go to the therapy just to try and unpick and understand this stuff. And I remember just being like, still really resistant. No, I can't go to therapy that means something's wrong with me. Mm. Just that denial was so centred, you know, in, in, in my fear. I was so holding so tightly onto this idea of who I am and I can't, ch- I don't have to change. I'm, I'm fine. You know, that kind of defensive language was really, really prominent. I'm fine. Don't, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong with me. This kind of thing. So I did finally, I reached out, went, got a therapist and, we, and I started doing the work. This mm. is 2016 and I started like mm. doing family trauma work around then and yeah this was like uncovering a lot of the stuff but the thing about the process was it was hugely healing I learned a lot of things about myself but I wasn't completely honest about where I was at because I to be honest I just didn't have the tools to really access this humility and this like to let go of my pride about about things I didn't I played down my drinking and drug use and stuff like that in therapy in therapy was it hard to get a therapist there not too hard, no. Because it's any... Do they have... They what? don't have NHS or anything like that. But no, this, I mean, I paid, paid like, I don't know, 60 euro or something a session. Um, so it's a privatised thing? Yeah. Therapy sure. there? Yeah. Yeah. I'm What's sure if you have... I didn't have health insurance. Ireland's like this half... Half in... Half, halfway house between, like, people who... You know, insurance and... Like, you can go to A&E in Ireland and pay, like, 100 euro. That's, like... That's your thing. You're in A and E. You pay hundred euro. Whatever happens, after that. What's A and E? Accident and emergency. So like the what do you call it? D O. No. Oh oh, like triage or whatever. Yeah. Like if you're fucked and you're like, yeah, holy yeah. shit, I need to go to the hospital. Totally. You, so like, you have to pay like hundred euro yeah. flat fee. There's an entrance. Your eintritt is on your back, so then you're like, you've arrived. Yeah. You get a bed. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. That's it's it's a pretty flawed system, but it's. It's okay. It's fine. You know, I never yeah. have to have. It's not like by law you're required to have insurance like yeah. it is here. Yeah, here, yeah. You know, so then. So then I find, this therapy stuff it really helped me unpack this stuff, and, I become a much more open person. I start to, feel, fantastic. You know, twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen. I was feeling on top of the world. We'd signed. We'd been dropped by a previous record label. We'd signed to a new record label. We were making new music. My I was building up my confidence. I was feeling alive, you know, and um, I don't know. I was just much more an open person. I would be, I probably had a tendency toward like trauma bonding at this point because I because I suddenly I understood myself so well. I understood my background and my trauma. I would, you know, meet people and I'd be very. I was addicted to the honesty, but this honesty was very intense, like. Like enmeshing. Enmeshing, yeah. Like, what happened with you? Oh, oh yeah, my God. Yeah. You know, this kind of thing. Let's talk about this all night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I got really into that sort of thing. And this one person uh, who I met one time when I was just... Funny enough, I was visiting the friend who I called in the hospital. 
I was visiting this person and it was down in the west of Cork, in west of Ireland. And I didn't really hang out with my friend very much, but she introduced me to another friend of hers and I hung out with her a little bit. We had a really lovely time. And at the end of the time hanging out together, she handed me Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now. I get this point, I've never read anything spiritual. I've never done any self-help. I'd just been doing therapy that previous six months or whatever. She hands me this book and like, I read it on the way home on the bus and on the train back to Dublin. I read it almost like cover to cover. And I had a spiritual awakening in this, on this, this journey. <laughs> I was like, fuck, I need to call people. I need to like, I need to, I felt so much great, like resonant love. Like it was intense. Like I, the only way I describe it is it's a, it's one minute you're in the dark. The next minute you see the light. Oh yeah. The present moment. That's all there fucking is. And I, I got properly, um, like, the, the energy flow was was really intense to it, like mania. So dangerously high levels of, like, intensity, like something I'd never experienced, even on drugs. It felt like taking ecstasy for the first time, mm-hmm. you know? It just worked. But you're just on. I'm on now, and I'm on. And it was like, fuck. Um, but what happened with that, quite obviously, is that yeah. that just freaked people out. Because from one day to the next, I completely changed. (laughs) Guru. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I'm I'm your guru suddenly and you need to know this shit. Yeah. Wait, but, you know, and and, and it really set a little lighter underneath me to go, right, everything needs to be fixed in this family. I need to, you know, we need to talk about our shit. Everyone needs to be honest. Everyone needs to do their work. Everyone needs to go to therapy. You know, got to do it now, now, now. This impatience, this like coming from a space of I really just want everyone who I know and love to experience a percentage of what I'm feeling, you know, because it feels so good. And of course it freaked the shit out of people and it isolated me and they felt isolated from me and it worried them, worried all my family. And this three, four months later, it started to affect my relationship with my brother and the band. Everyone was just kind of like walking around me, kind of like not knowing how to gauge me giving me these strange looks, you know, like, are you okay? You know, and it started to sort of gaslight the experience for me. And I was like, started to realize that even the people that I trust didn't around me didn't get it. You know, I've, I've, I've attained some level of freedom from a past version of understanding of reality, but I can't bring any of my friends along with me because they think I'm crazy. So I started to kind of fall into a space of maybe I am crazy, but I still had enough confidence to go, no, I know what I'm experiencing here and it feels right. Were you making different types of music? Like, did you do a bunch of writing then? Or? Oh God, I did not write in around then. I think I was just like... You were just on one. On one, fueled. And then um, it ended with my family's uh, response to it was, was like, Harry's not in a good space. And they kind of came together and said, we need to basically take him to a psych- psychiatric assessment. And... I was completely blindsided by that. I completely understand why they did it now, but at the time it completely, it broke my heart. I felt so misunderstood. And so this is the end of 2017 going into 2018. And I remember just feeling like totally lost. I was like, oh my, I can't trust anybody. Like the, the doctor in the thing, in the psych hospital was like, I think you're fine. No. Um, yeah, honestly, they said pri- privately, I was like, I think you're fine, but... You know, like on the side, like... Yeah, a- on, your, on the side, you know, which made it even more worse. Like, 
you know, to want to my family, they were saying like, you know, being like, your family are very worried about you, Harry, and you know, we think we can maybe get you in here on the inpatient thing. This whatever. is just intake. Yeah. You had an intake, or are you already in? I wasn't in yet. It was just like yeah, intake, like taking my details, listening to this different stories and experiences or whatever. From other people or people From around? Just me, my sister, and my mum, kind of giving their experience of me. And so <laughs> I was like. Chelsea or yeah yeah and um yeah it was just like right they fifty one fifty you yeah which is all they knew how to do it's it's not it's, it's fair it's totally fair and um I left that experience just like heartbroken uh, there's no so you didn't go in I didn't go in I didn't go have to go in I just it was like I was left with the information that I could go in if I needed to or wanted to it would have been voluntary yeah if it so easily could not have if I'd like kicked off you know it's yeah. like I when I was pulling into the hospital I remember just going like the whole walls crashing down like fuck okay I need to do some kind of like manipulation of this situation because I'm yeah I'm just so I'm so heartbroken I don't know how to communicate other than say I can't believe this like I genuinely can't believe this I feel so misunderstood <laughs> but I was manic I was mental you know sure um the thing is that i understand now is that what i needed what what happened was it's an oscillation of a consciousness it's like you go from one understanding to another and what you need is community what you need is support and that's what the, the beautiful thing about 12 steps is is that it holds you it's like a cradle to go yeah i was there too i've had that experience i've had that pink cloud thing as well uh, how are you feeling have you got any techniques to keep grounded in that experience you know that's what you need if you're going to go from a stage of one stage of consciousness and kind of come out of your denial come out of your 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 victim stuff be present do all that stuff where you need a community around you to feel like you're not going crazy mm. but that was the real spin out point for me start of 2018 is when i really started going i was like fuck you family you know i'm not talking to you guys or i'm going to be very distant with you now i don't trust any of you and that's when I really started using like psychedelics um, drinking a lot more, taking more drugs. Where were you living? I was living in, in Dublin. You had gone back. I'd so gone back to Dublin. You literally yeah. went back on a, on a ferry, on a wheelchair, and mm. it was like pause on London? Yeah, I think I was kind of coming back and forth a little bit for a while. You but didn't have it that bed sit still? No, I, I'd, yeah, it was, it was just like, there's nothing left for me in London now. I'm just going to, I've lost a relationship. I'm, we got dropped by a record deal anyway, and all this stuff. So I was like, nah, I'll just go back to Ireland for a bit. You just mentioned that this bedsit was way at the top of the Piccadilly line? That was like early, early on. That was like early in the first part of, of um, being in London, 2010. You did like a that. bunch of moving around? Moved around London, all over the place. Finsbury Park, Brixton. Um, that's pretty much it, to be honest. But King's Ross for a little while as well. But, yeah. They're always in Soho... Every day we were in Soho because we had this management company that, that worked out of uh, Dean Street Studios in Soho. So I was in Soho like every day from 2010 till 2015 pretty much. Was it inspiring slash like sad come nighttime or were you? Well, that's another place where I also really expressed and exaggerated my drinking and using was because I, the only job that I've ever had, and this it's weird, I have almost like a little tinge of shame about saying this, um, because I've been so lucky to be able to do music as a career the whole time. But 
the only other job I actually ever had was working as a pub crawl guide, bringing tourists around central London, Leicester Square, Soho, giving them free drinks, you know, bringing them around like 20 people, these t-shirts, everybody signs the t-shirts, everything like that. When I say pub, you say crawl, pub crawl. You know, this was my, the only thing I've actually done outside of music, which is ridiculous, but... um. Yeah, so anyway, all of this just leads up into eventually a combination of like half being connected to this new found inner spirituality stuff, practicing meditation, um, being interested in the work around psychedelics. But I had started to garner and gain, gain all of the language that you have within 12 steps and any type of self-help stuff with none of the embodiment of that. It was the, the mind was really latching onto these new ideas and this new vocabulary and I was able to spout it out and but I was using that as a way to like get people to my web you know um and create more bonds that were kind of toxic for me and for them for those people you know um yeah and then and then I found myself on tour and in a relationship again you know I should say, like, shortly after, every time I ever had a breakup, I always ended up in a new relationship. It's just part of the pattern. But this particular time, about four years ago, yeah, so, geez, around the same time as all this stuff was unfolding, 2018 or something like that, 18, 19, I, I, I came to, on a tour and I was in Berlin. I met a German person here. We started having a long-distance relationship. That went on for a couple of years. That had its dysfunction. And I ended up here at the start of the pandemic. Visiting. To be living here? Visiting, just visiting. That's that's how you ended up staying. Yeah, there was no... There was no you no, couldn't leave. Yeah, not even that I couldn't. I was just like, there's going to be a national inter, international lockdown. I have like shows. I, we had just released an album in February 2020. We were oh, yeah. about to go touring for that entire year. And so I was like, well, all my shows are cancelled. What else am I going to do? I'm not going to... Like, why don't I just... I've always wanted to live, live in Berlin, so I just stayed here. And at this point, though, you've already managed to get sober. At this point, I've gotten sober, exactly. So the difference, I mean, this is a, such a big question. I could, I could imagine the answer to be multi-layered, but if you, so you managed to get sober, and I'm interested in that point. I guess I know the answer, kind of. I think I can remember now, still, but that's not, um, I'd love to get some clarity on it, because the difference of, like, being on tour pre-recovery and then being on tour in recovery Mm. how did so did you bottom out on tour and like how did you get to your first meeting yeah and where was it so i was at this relationship with this german person um which was uh the first person who i'd ever experienced being reflected in a way that that i could not ignore my stuff your bad stuff yeah like pathological yeah yeah like holy crap yeah maybe there is some some problems here that i need to sort out so july 2019 i i should say what i also did is i in this search for answers like i finally bowed down to my family's request to maybe try and get a psychiatric assessment i did i was diagnosed as bipolar and i wore that as a badge for about five months Mm. feeling like yeah Okay, cool. That actually helps. That's like gives me some reasons why I've behaved so crazy and erratic over the years. And um, it still didn't fix anything. Knowing that, obviously, I didn't go on medication initially. 
And um, in July 2019, the, the person who I was with was like, hey, I'm done. I'm, this is bullshit. You're, you're lying to me. You're deceiving me. I was you know, cheating. I was just a really terrible partner. And um, Living together? We were living together at this point. In a small little classic, yeah. Yeah. I'd actually just gotten my own space in Berlin and everything. And, um, I'm sorry, that's the year previous. Uh, I, in, as, a, as, as a response to I'm leaving you, I was like, no, please don't leave me. I'll, I'll, I'll go to AA. I'll, I'll do something about the drinking, which had been reflected as being a problem that I had been so defensive of the entire relationship, using all the classic excuses, you know. Well, I'm in my 20s. It's <laughs> I'm in my 20s. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's normal. I'm in a band, you know. Yeah. I'm Irish. I have to drink. The crowd are always drunk. You know, all these different... Sure. <laughs> really beautifully simple excuses for not ever examining yourself. And so I actually took took medication for bipolar at this point as well the same week i took medication for bipolar i experienced another spiritual awakening you know from chemically rebalancing yeah it was just like in my head there was nothing i was like oh this is what this is the thing i this is the presence that i felt when i read the power of now again this is like this i'm here there's no thoughts it was like meditation without having to actually do any work in so your waking life here. In my waking life. I'm like walking. Out there. <laughs> walking around like <laughs> I can see everything and I don't have my head isn't blocking me and I was I felt joy and and I was in enough of an open state to suggest going to AA. This know. person then suggested it to you or someone else did? No, a friend of mine had always been kind of trying to Is that, another yeah. friend of mine had always been trying to get sober. Um in and had tried all sorts of different techniques. And I'd sometimes would have joined the previous years, like, oh, we'll do dry January. I never got past day 15, you know. Mm. Mm. Never saw the problem. But, um, yeah, I found myself in AA, and this is the experience that I thought, that I didn't know I needed, didn't know I always wanted. Just hearing, um, hearing, like, honesty. And it was exactly this thing I was missing. It was the community feeling. When people, some people were way worse than, than me, maybe, mm. uh, object, <laughs> objectively, and other people were, like, on the same level, and other people were, like, 20 years sober, and I couldn't relate, feel, felt like I couldn't relate to them at all, but I wanted what they had. This experience of, like, whoa, this is what I want, just so instantly clicked. I was like, bam. So I, I got sober, and I still had six months until the pandemic, and in that six months, I played maybe 25 shows or something like that. Living where? In Dublin. Yeah. And... I got to play music for the first time as a sober person and it was just amazing. Did things start to kind of ship shape with your brother? They got a bit better, I think, but I was still in the grips of a relationship that wasn't really working for me or the person. So it all kind of still felt a bit sticky and messy. That first year, they say like that first time getting sober, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. So did you notice that? those classic first year things where like did you go ahead and do big moves and do all this big life stuff six months in i moved to germany relationships and yeah yeah huge decisions being made buying cars and all this stuff you're not supposed to have money for the first time yeah savings (laughs) it was like i had money what's that about yeah whatever i had like even if it was a hundred euro left over it's like that's a hundred euro more than i ever had before 
I always would like drink right up until my paycheck, like just save enough, you know, or borrow off people or whatever. Like I'm, it was so liberating to experience a tiny bit of financial security, you know. So then your, I don't want to make, I think I'm correct in this. So your first meetings were in Dublin. Yeah. And the fellowship there. Yeah, it was, it was brilliant. Old timey. Mixture. This is the, the beautiful thing about the time I went in was that for whatever reason, there was this huge wave of people the same age as me, lads in their late 20s from the same area that I'm from. And so actually the second meeting I ever went to, I saw a friend of mine who I hadn't met since I was 10 years old. Oh, wow. And we became best mates again. Where, what part of town are you from? Dunleary, so like the south side of Dublin, which is, yeah, so Dublin's like a, a circular bay, if you look at it on the map. Down in the south, there's like a big pier there, and it's kind of all, all Georgian buildings, and it's really, it's really beautiful. Georgian? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, like it's all lovely. Yeah, it's it's a nice, nice part of Dublin, um, right beside the sea. You know, a lot of people go to Dublin and they go to the city centre and they don't realise like it's 20 minutes from the sea. So I grew up like right beside the sea. So that whole time of getting sober as well, it was like I made new friends and people who, who do sea swimming. Oh my God, I think you told me about that. That's... So it was like every day in my early early weeks and months of getting sober, I was going up in the morning sea swimming, you know, as a way to change my patterns and shock yourself shock myself <laughs> yeah and worked a tree you salted yourself back yeah just just filled that hole you know filled, filled that god-shaped hole you know a mixture of that made me help help me understand what a higher power could be having already experienced this in spiritual awakening experience with the power of now i was like oh that can still work pretty well into my whole understanding of higher power awareness consciousness the universe itself nature all these things i just just was i just found myself in a much more open-minded state had enough opportunity to cry and express my grief and pain with on one-to-one sessions with people outside of the rooms like fellows in and out yeah mm. just sometimes in the rooms yeah sure <laughs> you know. so you felt held you said that uh so i in my because you started a meeting it was like tuesday or something so i, I dipped in mm-hmm. in zoom and it was really cool to see the um yeah age diversity mm. and it just to me i don't know somehow i, I associate ireland with alcoholism which is obviously totally fair i'm ukrainian <laughs> and i'm sure people think about that culture yeah. similarly as i do too <laughs> from my experience uh it was really cool to see yeah, how many different folks? There was a big gap though. There was young, and then nobody, and then people yeah, with yeah. maybe white hair. Yeah, totally. And there's a, there's a huge cocaine epi- epidemic in Ireland. Cocaine know? only. Yeah. What about heroin? That was a big thing. That is that. a big problem, but it's not as it's more, that's more inner city associated with, you know, homelessness, and it's 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 not as highbrow. If if you get sure, me. yeah, yeah. So it's just a lot of coke, like extreme extreme amount of coke. So. Cocaine Anonymous is actually a much bigger fellowship ah. f- for younger people, certainly in Ireland. Okay. And so, like, I found myself I found myself going to meetings for that fellowship a lot, even though, yeah, I did, did a little bit of that stuff myself, but it was, like, there was the most resonance I was getting. Going for the solution. Sure. You're like, those people, yeah. that night, that room. Solution, dark room, incense, candles, my kind of vibe, you know, it was like... <laughs> I imagine the meetings to be quite, like the opportunity to be in really beautiful rooms is 
probably highly possible now. Yeah. Like, the do, place do they go into churches? That I, the place that I got clean, sober, was this crypt underneath a church. And it was called The Crypt, you know, and it was just... Beautiful. It's just a beautiful, little dingy, under the church. Literally, you're sitting beside a room where behind this wall is like uh, a priest buried in a coffin, probably. <laughs> you know? Oh, is that actually what happens? That's actually it? what a crypt is. Yeah. I mean, I I know the word crypt, and when I've been to the like the crypt meeting on, or in the crypt with that queer meeting in London that mm-hmm. I'm sure you've been to since, mm-hmm. like the one on Upper Upper Street mm-hmm. that's like always going. Mm-hmm. In Angel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Behind the wall is... That's so creepy! I didn't yeah. know that! Yeah. It just seems too logical to be real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good vibes down there. Really good. Okay, cool. And, like, shocking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is there more than one priest buried behind there? I think so, yeah. It's like, however long... Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that's how it was done. It was like, you know, you become no. the you become the Dyson priest or whatever for that area. And then when you're... You're buried. People, some people will get buried there. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to be a colony. I mean, everybody's anywhere going west is a colony. Mm-hmm. You know, but being a British colony, technically Canada, like some things just get missed. Yeah. You know, you don't have crypts in Canada. Like there's yeah, yeah, yeah. like just these really particular and really, I think, uh, yeah, culturally significant things. Mm. Death, just, death ritual stuff is so interesting culture to culture like how different different it is you know like how much fear or how much rejoice or celebration yeah or just the ritual around how you celebrate like it's awake such a common thing in ireland you know somebody dies you have a wake everybody goes to the house that there's an open casket you see the the dead person there it's like it's a bit of a celebration it's it's kind of so different you know in the uk they always joke like i had to go to a catholic I had to go to a Catholic. It was so weird. I had to go to a Catholic funeral. Because then Catholic. it was closed? Kind of, yeah, the open casket, closed casket thing, all that sort of stuff. This kind of industrialized thing that's occurred with death where people are so disconnected from it, they don't... Like, it's like, oh, we let the, we let the funeral services deal with that. Whereas you can think just like a hundred years ago, like, if your family member died, like, you'd... you'd You're responsible. Responsible. Like, you'd carry them, like, you'd t- take them to... Yeah, you take them to a to a services place to sort of do it, but you do it yourself. You put the, put the. You do the dressing. The dressing, you, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's not wasn't as commercialized, or it hadn't become an in, like you said, it hadn't become an industry. Yeah. Wow. So then you. Were still touring sober, and that was a big change, mm-hmm. and maybe emotional sobriety hadn't kicked in yet. So then, when like when did you manage to come into emotional sobriety? Would you say like how did this all. I'm assuming this is your experience because I know you. Yeah. But well, I worked the steps and had them worked within six months. There. In Ireland. And I may, I finished working the steps at the point that we released this album, which is like, you know, pinnacle of three years of work. And then, like I said, the, 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 the uh, pandemic happened. So it's like this huge building momentum and then giant deflation of like, what the hell? <laughs> now what now what and I was here in Berlin and I was living uh, with my partner at the time and the the, the relationship wasn't particularly healthy and so that ended in September last year Uh, no yeah September last year yeah 2020 weird time work because it feels longer than that ago yeah yeah yeah. and we you and I had been working through that period from 
May until... Okay, that's yeah. why then, yeah, because I feel like we've been... Yeah, and so we went, we went through it. I feel like a lot of my emotional sobriety came through sitting at this very table and just, like, oh. doing some of the work, you know. I did, so did some therapy as well, more therapy, and, you know, got more tools, started to feel some sense of self-love. And everything that you ever learn, if you do any type of self-help, is applicable. You know, it's like none of it's out the door. No. Everybody has different approaches to helping yourself. And 12 steps is one thing. You know, what emotional sobriety means to one person is completely different to another. So I just kind of started to be able to be embodied in this new understanding of this language. So that journey from head to heart... You know, it's like what a, do they say about that again? It's, it's like the, the longest journey. Yeah, <laughs> even though it's so short. <laughs> Got to keep that thing pried open. Yeah, and 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 it, yeah, God, it's free. The emotional sobriety is an is an ongoing thing. I mean, I'm I'm I had a lapse. I would say, well, I don't want to, it doesn't really matter. The language can sometimes also be a little bit um, pathologizing. I find like I had a relapse. I had an emotional relapse can be a bit intense but I just think yeah no I did I I relapsed into an old behavior pattern just very recently I found myself regressed I was like a like a small child and I couldn't access any of the tools that I the previous day was perfectly able to use you and know? these tools came from behavioral uh, recovery stuff yeah like different fellowships different fellowships yeah and you find one led to the next you did this one, then you did that one, you did that one. Yeah, I gotta tick off those box, tick off the boxes if I'm stuck in a rut. Yeah. But, um, so did you? You made it. I mean, I know the answer to this. You made it through this recent very yeah. sticky week. Yeah, and it was like, it was a twenty four hour hour period, where, I hit this this bottom that was triggered by being asked very simple questions, that had there was no real reason to to react. Any rational reaction would be. Oh, I'm just being asked a question. But the particular state of mind I was in, maybe I hadn't meditated for a couple of days or something, makes a huge difference, is that I just received these questions as attacks. And I was like, I'm being attacked. And I closed down and shut down and turned into a little little child. And, I, and my awareness of that was being even hijacked further by my mind. It's like, you're no, you know that you're in this state. And so the mind goes... You even know you're in this state. Why can't you get out of it? Come on, you piece of shit. You're pathetic. You know, again, it's one of those times where you just like try to breathe and like observe. But it took me, it took me a few hours to get out of that rut. Then the same conversation occurred the next day. And it was like maybe an hour it took me to come around. And then the next week I was literally able to talk about it and go, to the, go into that space again with, this, with my partner and talk. Um, and I felt all of the same stuff triggering. I felt the same body body sensations occurring, the, the churning of the stomach. But I was able to say, ah, no, 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 it's okay. And I was able to communicate. And that's it. Hopefully it'll happen, it'll, it will happen again at some point. But that was a huge lesson for me. You know, I think the emotional sobriety is like staying really in the present moment, staying humble. Because I thought I was better than that. I've passed this. This is an old pattern. That's not going to happen to me anymore. You know? So it's like sitting That in... hubris came in and kind of took over. Like, I feel I'm healed. You know? 
I'm healed. That's not, I'm not going to regress like, like that again. So then when you do, the same hubris, whatever, that gets attacked. Yeah, can you explain hubris? Because I feel like you mentioned that and I didn't understand. I understand I potentially could imagine what the context is, but mm-hmm. I don't know if hubris is a historical demon or something like this or yeah i guess it's that same thing of um it's thinking super, thinking superpower you think you're you're like grandiosity, grandiosity. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah yeah isn't that what hubris means yeah. i don't know it's like the opposite of humility right oh like well now of, i know i think I, I hope that's right some okay some some ling, ling, ling feels like a demon or a god or like something mythological no yeah well you're just like an inflated sense of self, I guess. That's what I feel like that means. Oh, okay. That's what I'm meaning to say. If that's not what hubris means, then that's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, just like thinking, oh, I got this. I mean, I got I got some sponsees and I've been working the steps for a while and I'm not going to be prone to any lapses. So but, being in the middle of the boat, which is the goal, essentially gives potentially folks the ability to sit with uncomfortable feelings yeah mm-hmm. do you feel as though i'm like totally making shit up here for you projecting in your direction but um, having sponsors you just mentioned how important is having sponsors so important it's fucking badass it's so it's so helpful to just to be able to get out of self it's like whoa i need to listen to this person just listen reflect back what what i'm hearing if they want me to do that it's all about like practicing consent you know like that's a, that's a huge thing that i that i didn't even that i take for granted is that i learned consent within this space like you taught me consent in a way in sort of just like i would have a tendency to just insert myself into situations ask things of people in a, in a very demanding way and so i've learned like through practice to just be like checking in with people you know and that's like a that's a tool that's so it's not necessarily something that's taught in 12 steps but it's such a important tool just like it's like a queer tool yeah it's one of the most yeah like, it's, it's up there totally i mean it's not a queer tool but it's certainly where i picked it up yeah 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 or like it's sex positive yeah. scene and poly stuff you know just like this open open communication a constant dialogue of like checking in but not in an overbearing way but i mean the sponsor sponsor relationship like i've learned more from the people who I sponsor, sponsor than anything else in some ways because they come to me with the same problems that I had a couple of years ago and it's like oh shit yeah I have I have I have grown whoa this isn't about me hang on a sec just stay with the person and like keep reflecting back and if they ask for their for my advice it's like I can give my perspective but again I can give these you can give the you're not telling anybody what to do. You're just giving your experience, you know? And it's super health, helpful, I find. And as well, if yeah. you do give somebody advice, right? If you do give someone advice, it's like... And they're your sponsor, sponsee. It's like, well, fuck, I better do that thing that I just told them. Because I'm not doing that. <laughs> it's like, so, you know, it's like, have you been meditating? Or have you been... And I'm like, shit, I didn't meditate today. You know, uh, have you what about this tool? I've used this tool. Like, wait a second, I've been using that tool at all, you know? And it's just this reminder. It's like, oh, have you ever, have you thought about doing like a kind of classic step four resentment tool on this? And I was thinking, you know what? I haven't done that in a long time. Maybe it would be helpful for me to do that with this situation. <laughs> and it's a continuous loop of 
growth between the people and I find I've also just become really good f friends with with the people that I'm s sponsoring you know it's just the, the dynamic shifts a little bit they start asking you how are you at the start it's like help I need I need your help you just fix my life for me please fix my life and you go whoa 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 hang on <laughs> slow down slow down and eventually a few months later if they're doing the work they come to you and, they, and they're interested in how are you how are you getting on how's your life like what's moving for you you know and you you see that shift of self-centeredness people's the, the light in their eyes the brightness in their eyes starts to open up and they're like they see the world anew mm. and then they find often the confidence to contribute at the group level and they start running meetings starting meetings yeah then they start sponsoring it's like Ah, oh, it's so it's such a beautiful ripple effect, you know. Yeah, and then more recovery is available for other people, you know. Yeah. The more, the more, the merrier. Yeah. How about you? How do you find that experience? Well, it's, it's crazy humbling to watch you. Uh, it's humbling is definitely maybe it's even more so just super inspiring to watch you sit in a room and be like, "Holy shit!" You're like flanked by like four different sponsees. <laughs> one person's chairing one person has the key one per and i was like yes <laughs> you know the perpetuation that we do need as a as a i don't know what i say smaller fellowships because it's english speaking in berlin but my another question so it's amazing i fucking love it i feel like i don't know i passed the torch and i mm -hmm. want the torch to be passed again yeah, my intention yeah, yeah. is to everyone keep passing the torch you know yeah yeah, yeah. or for for that you know with consent of course <laughs> this is your great 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 grand <laughs> sponsor <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's a such an american thing like they know their great grand sponsor. like they can almost like some people know their lineage to bill you know right which yeah, is yeah. like whoa like there's some people here who have cuttings of bills a plant from bill's hospital bed and like wow. this kind of shit which is so fucking cool. And even if it's not. I love that. I, like, I think that's, that, that's one of the things. That's cool. That, it is so cool. And every time I do any work with somebody, I'm like, look, I know this book, right? This big book thing. It's like, it's kind of arcane. The language is pretty crazy. Um, sometimes and it's hard to swallow a little bit, but just like stick with me for a sec. Let's just read the front part of this book. This whole thing was like started by two people doing exactly what we're doing right now, sitting opposite a table of each other and sharing with each other. Having a smoke and having drinking. Having a smoke and drinking. Coffee. And drinking coffee and just having the chats. Those are the two people who this whole thing trickles down from. A, that, that's yeah. the lineage. It's beautiful. And to think, which isn't, I mean, maybe in other fellowships to probably talk more about, like, for instance, Alon, the mm -hmm. reason that there can still be AA because they, they needed the support of, totally. you know, and um, I think they probably weren't appreciating it in the beginning. Of course. Uh, there's so much literature. You know, I, I have... I think the bookshelf above you is books read and the bookshelf over in there is like the books to be read and AA comes of age. Oh yeah. It's beautiful. You've read it, right? I've got it. I've got it at home. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's book. really kind of seminal. I was like, <gasps> like I just felt so connected to it. I was like, Oh, this thing that's like within my lifetime hit. That's not true. <laughs> Born in 79, <laughs> but like within my grandparents lifetime became this thing that mm -hmm. has spread all over the world and changed mm -hmm. so many people's lives and for that matter saved lives and mm. continue to perpetuate other uh specific fellowships you know like people are like well 
this has been good, but what yeah. about this? And then, oh, this has been good for us, but what about, you know? And, yeah, and that's and important. Yeah. The cool, it started with, it's a Keep, tree, and then it just branches out to all these different fellowships. Well, what do you think, this is very vague, um, specifically, how special, this is an assumption, how special is Berlin Fellowship community recovery to you? Do you think it's been kind of radical? So important. Yeah. So, so important for me. You know, the first time I came to Berlin after having been in AA for a month, because um, I was in this long-distance relationship, I came into Berlin and I landed in, and there was an AA convention on, 2019, the AA convention in Berlin. I was 10 days sober at this point. And I wonder I, if we passed we may another. Have, we may have done. And, and I was there on the last day when they did the, the sobriety countdown. There was people, there was 150 people there. And with the bleachers on the inside? Yeah, exactly. The 150 people there, and there was, um, you know, 45 years sober, 43 years sober, 40 years sober, all the way down, all the way down. Were you at the bottom? And I was the second last person. Shut up! And when I when it got down to the bottom, I was 10 days sober, I was like, shaking, sh- like, visibly shaking, honestly, like, and so intense, standing up, walking down this ramp. Not know, falling over. Like, bursting into tears and having like 20 people this pre-corona <laughs> 20 people come over and hug me oh just my like gosh. in a big massive circle just giving me a massive hug and i was like <gasps> heaving crying just feeling this like who was know. the mc was it somebody who's um, british that we were talking about earlier that's that fan, the fan MC person for that i think it was julie julia uh-huh. yeah 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 so goodness me it was an amazing experience for that was really my baptism of fire 10 days sober English speaking fellowship convention in Berlin did you go eat at Hammy? I didn't even stay that long after I think um, yeah I, did. I, I was so overwhelmed you just dried your face off <laughs> like got I, on I a went plane the nec- I went the next day to oh, yeah I went the day the day after and I think it was a, one of the members brought me to another meeting oh on a Monday meeting yeah, so, so Saturday Sunday and then yeah. where'd you go on Monday then to the to well, Mitte to the Volderschule yeah and, and yeah so I had this like run of experience with it and it was like wow this is so cool and I was in the classroom in, in Volderschule and I was like wow and there was so many young people and just good snacks as cool, well good snacks cool looking people and you know there's about 40 people in that room yeah and I'm 10 11 days sober at this point and I'm just feeling buzzed you know, this is like, whoa, this is fucking cool. And it dawned, <laughs> you know, it only dawned on me. I'd been to Berlin at that point before that flight over a few days previous. I'd been to Berlin 10 times over the previous five years. More than that, because I had a long distance thing. But for touring, I'd been there. Landing in the airport, uh, uh, coming into into land at Tegel. Good old Tegel. Coming into land, I just brainwave. Oh my God, I can go to meetings here. You know, that was your first thought? It was one of my first thoughts. And I felt amazing because I was like, I'll be able to like have a community here. Like, I'm, I'm being freaked out about coming to Berlin because it's such a trigger for drinking, using and partying. But no, I'm going to be able to go to the, these meetings. And it's been super important. The queer meetings especially. Yeah. Allowing me to experience, yeah, just the total, the queerness of Berlin, which is so beautiful and fantastic getting getting exposed to it because I'm coming from coming from Dublin coming from Ireland and just being brought up in mm. in such a kind of 
not for any other reason than just a lack of diversity, but just a kind of close-minded mm-hmm. thing. Obviously, Ireland in 2015 voted gay marriage in the only country in the world to have ever, by public vote, bring in hmm. mar- mar- marriage with a referendum, you know, because normally it's voted in by a government, but Ireland public voted it in. So it was like this huge wave. You know, my sister, my sister's lesbian, you know, like I never sort of got a chance to really ever say out loud to anybody that I have, that I've kind of identified as bi. Like I never said that to anyone before. Then, there, yeah. Yeah. And, and but here, yeah. But here, I was like, yeah, cool. And it, the more that I went to meetings and stuff, I felt this was like a whole other side of it. I get to work on owning parts of my identity and speaking about things more fluidly. I don't have to be in these rigid ideas of toxic masculinity anymore which I anyway don't fit into because I'm, you know, a, a lanky, skinny man and I, can't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't enjoy going to the gym and pumping weights and whatever. I'm like, no, I'm a sensitive musician type. Mm. I have feel like much more of an affinity towards the feminine, you know, and, and this whole space of queer um, 12-step land has just like been a huge, huge for me, you know, just to open myself up and be a bit more closer to what I always wanted to be, be myself. When you arrived, did you know there was a convention or you just happened to find out? To be fair, my, my, my um, partner at the time, she found it. She was like, there's a convention on this. When you're here, you should go to it. There's good, is it PI, the position, public information? Yeah. Particularly in queer fellowship. I don't, I can't say for the other fellowship, but the people, there's always a PI who, yeah, makes that known. Yeah. I mean, it's simple Google. It was found, but, you know. But it with yeah with you know I, yeah, I didn't I mean, it's amazing how much service benefits the group as right. a whole you know totally and like to continue, a, diversified so. totally because there's a there's a person um who works on the hotline for AA, and the amount of people who I meet who are like they identify this person as the their entrance point. For example, they're like, yeah, I, I called the AA hotline and I spoke to this to this person. It's like, wow, I've literally heard about 20 people say, yeah, I spoke to this person on the phone and they told me to go to this meeting or whatever. And I'm like, uh, works. that's beautiful. You know, on the U-Bahn, there used to be, if not maybe there still is, maybe it was a couple of years ago, there was NA um, ads mm. up in the, like, you know, where you put an ad. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what? When I first saw it, I was like, oh, there has to be that here. Yeah, totally. This town struggles. Totally. Or, you know, the what, youth. Yeah, what do you think about the the sort of attraction versus promotion thing? I'm, I'm a promotion person. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, uh, hopefully, or, like, I don't think keeping tight-lipped about it is beneficial. No. Yeah. Yeah, me neither. And, and maybe, you know, mindfully not slagging off my family or you know whatever being too specific there's a version of it that yeah, yeah, yeah you know um yeah it's interesting to think about for instance interviews that i positive you've done a fucking buttload of them mm-hmm. so i just there's this interview thing that i've just it's like polishing a turd totally you know yeah. it's like the same turd being polished over and over and over again and the questions get less interesting each time around which is not a surprise because it's content Mm. You know, generally, you know, these things are things that draw people to their web, their fucking Instagram. But, you know, of course, it kicks back. It might kick back 
enough. It, it, the, I've come to the point where doing an interview is so that if one person can resonate with something that I've said, that it doesn't mean that it's going to, uh, well, translate, I suppose, isn't the right word, but it's, it's not going to, I'm not going to commodify that into a tattoo, mm-hmm. you know, or a selling a piece of work or something, but I'm hoping that I can say my story and how it relates to what I'm doing in my life so that um, there can be someone who finds recovery. Yeah, please. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That would be great. That, that that's, that's 10 times more important to me than it translating in. There's a much better like economical word for it, but like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And um, so I'm like polishing this turd and, and uh, I finally sent it off to this person and oh i see it's a like someone has sent you an interview that you have to talk yeah right out yourself i mean for the last number of years i was like i can't do interviews that i have to write because it's i just can't polish this turd any longer yeah (laughs) like this thing's shiny like like it doesn't smell anymore like it's just Mm kind of like fuck um it's also the journalism being quite lazy it's like here here's a questionnaire you fill this out yeah and the questions are like what's your favorite color and Mm. but they're not like that but depending i guess as I've got reflected from other people, like depending on the readership of said magazine, mm-hmm. they're asking specific kind of like surfacey questions, sure, you sure. know, to not like shock people or whatever, you yeah. know, uh, overwhelm people or turn people off. But I mean, that's not the point. So I told this person, well, it was interesting. They actually asked, I think they're also in Melbourne. So they're like, well, let's do a zoom call about it. It was like, great. And they're like, well, we'll do it 20 minutes. So I was like, babes, <laughs> 20 minutes you don't know me yeah. you're like that doesn't i mean sure let's try 20 minutes and see yeah, how yeah, yeah. <laughs> like okay <laughs> and of course we like we literally scratched the surface you know what yeah. i mean and so they paraphrased what i said and sent it back i hope you're not listening <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't very good you know mm. but through reflection from somebody else um it could be very much just what they were after, you know? Mm. And, but that's actually not, that's like the crux for me, the crux of this whole thing is like, I don't want to just do a little, like the surface level. I like, I told this person, like, let's deep dive. Like I'm in there, let's do it. Because like, it's also a service, which is coming, circling back to like, what is it like to be attraction rather than promotion? I'm down with attraction. Yeah. But I mean, I don't mention, I don't mention the second trauma fellowship that I'm in. Sure. Yeah. You know, I don't mention directly sex and love addiction. I don't directly mention food. Mm. Um, I bundle some things. I'm willing to bundle some things, you know? And like uh, teasing apart, like there's some things I was willing to dive deeper into, like the ritual of tattoos so that people might... um, Feel safer. Yeah, you know? Yeah, Yeah, because like even saying a trauma-based fellowship, a 12-step trauma-based fellowship, that will resonate with somebody. Yeah. Like, oh, interesting. What's that? You know? Yeah, using the word dysfunction or, you know, like yeah. some key, but really deep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just super helpful. So I think, long story short, Pro- a, a definitely, definitely a version of promotion that I think maybe, um, I don't know if I'm humble in any way, but more of it. In, mm-hmm. in stepping back from like, to be sure that I'm not uh, being a victim and um flying some sort of flag yeah yeah exactly you know because i've seen both sides of it i mean i've seen people be like oh almost overly promotion of very specifically the name of the fellowship and things like that and i feel like that stuff i always get a little bit like "Mm, 
that you're trying to represent an entire message that's being condensed into some literature, you know, and it's your experience of it. And like maybe people not being so careful as to ex- express their experience of it and that it's not a be all end all solution to anything, you know. But then the other side mm-hmm. of it is I've seen like recently I got really triggered because I read an article in The Guardian that uh, of a guy who just did a takedown like a total takedown of the 12 steps. It turned out it wasn't at all. It was actually a takedown of a treatment center. But the way that it was written just like gave us such a bad impression of what, what, what can, what is on offer in these spaces. I just, I felt a little bit hurt. It was like, oh, there could be somebody out there reading this and they're going to be turned off this. It was just like an overemphasis on like, you know, secular Mm. against God and this kind of stuff in it. It kind of like put, I could imagine somebody reading it who was in a really hard place looking at that and going like, oh God, that sounds shut. That sounds terrible. You know? Well, it's like the I and the we as well, like making sure to speak only from our experience. Yeah. And I think yeah. broad, some broad strokes in there, like the word recovery. Yeah. But I, I guess maybe I'm assuming again, but would you say that you're, um, when one, how, I don't even know how to put it. How, like, how much pain does one have to be in before they get there is just so relative, you know? Totally. So there's no classic version of, like, I'm ready or, like... Uh, yeah, high bottom it, or low bottom. It's, it, it seems to be completely variable to people. Yeah, for me, I kept, was kept in denial for a long time because I had living this, straddling this half-life of doing yoga and meditation in the morning and then getting pissed at night and waking up the next day and rinse and repeat. So like <laughs> I was able to t- trick myself into thinking like I'm, I'm healed and I'm doing really well because I'm yo- doing yoga and meditation, you know, but then I'd go out drinking and using. And so that, that left me going for that. Like anybody could be doing that sort of pattern for years and maybe not even identify the drinking and drugs as being a problem, you know, and or the behaviors. Because yeah. if your behavior, and if you start your day every day with some, meditation and yoga like or whatever like that seems like you're kind of maybe going in the right direction but there could be so many reasons why people are doing that it could be because they it's good for their body you know they, they do it for instagram they do it for like virtue signaling that sort of stuff yeah 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 and i've i've t- i'm completely guilty of that sort of stuff i've done that in the past i've been like really like oh look at me and look at me doing my yoga do you know I mean, whatever. Yeah. I, I mean, how do you feel about what we put out there? So here we are talking about social media mm-hmm. uh, and how powerful it is and how important it is. Because if we do put... So I guess I can speak for myself. That's the we, the we thing's tricky, you know? I'm saying we because we are on the same page. So that's mm-hmm. maybe... That's also a, a, an, a, that's a, a grandiose assessment or, of the situation. But like this idea of virtual signaling, virtue signaling is, is really important to like be self-effacing about because it's like... Like this, like social capital of like being like I'm a blank, I'm a fill in the blanks, and don't you then want to buy this product which is me as opposed yeah, to yeah. like, or for me like I'm a fucking music absolute freak junkie you mm-hmm. know and every time I listen to an album I fucking get so much from it I publish it I just put it out there mm. and I feel good about that and that's mm. the difference for me like what I what I could, what I perceive to be virtue signaling from other people or whatever, as to like community development or like bringing people in as opposed to like maybe even like setting yourself aside because you're like whoa look at all this music that i like 
I'm checking my motives all the time around this sort of stuff. Yeah. It's why Why am I sharing this thing? Yeah. Great. A lot of the time I don't, I just don't in the end. After I've assessed it, I'm, a, I'm like, hmm, I, I don't really need to send this. I think there's a, there's a, I want to be seen under, mm-hmm. underlying this, which is actually okay. But, yeah. because I don't judge myself for that, but any, any longer, hopefully. But it's that understanding that like, you're broadcasting yourself and you want you at some part you want some kind of feedback yeah true you know but but i think my my that that compass has changed for me like i genuinely feel like i have a bit of a platform you know whatever it's you not, do it's not it's not even it's not even a big platform it's just that i have this little platform and i'm able to go what do i want to say here you know and i found it really hard being in a band um because you're speaking speak, because i can't speak for myself i'm speaking on behalf of me and my brother so it's yeah. hard to get the personality in there i find and I grew up on social media. I did my teenage years. I, I owe my whole entire musical career to putting videos on YouTube. I love to hear that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, so cool that it worked. Not only did it work, but it works. Yeah, it does. But this is also a completely different time. It was 2008 that I started putting stuff on YouTube. Now it's extremely highly saturated with people and content that I find completely overwhelming for my system now. I'm, I'm very aware of how addictive it is to be on Instagram, TikTok all these things like they, they suck my energy so quickly i have to be very very careful because mm-hmm. of the dopamine i feel the rushes of intensity you know on my youtube as well i'm a huge like i'm addicted to youtube but i i'm able to say to myself well it's it's healthy because i'm watching educational videos long-form interviews and um, science-based stuff spirituality videos all that kind of stuff yeah it is healthy if you just do it like maybe an hour but I'll often, like, I'll, I'll lose hours just, like, going into this stuff. And I, I, I'm aware of my body language in that space. I'm, like, on my phone and my neck's tilted and I start to... Sometimes I catch myself because I see my reflection of myself in the screen. Ah, from your glasses. Yeah, or the black, when the screen goes black and you can just see yourself in the screen. And you just, and I just see myself and I go, oh, my God, what? I look... I looked so depressed. You know, I thought I had a really nice day today. What am I doing here? Oh my god, it's 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 pitch black. I've literally I didn't leave my house. Do you know? So, I have an interesting, ever evolving relationship with social media and with my phone, because I see it as it's this is a like an epidemic of the societal proportions, the addiction to a phone, addiction to technology. You know, I feel like like process addiction. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's inescapable and you have to do it for your job for the most part for the most part like you need some kind of connection to it so you, you seem to do it really well I, i've noticed well that, well thanks at least it there you go i mean I, that's an assumption on my part I don't, I don't know how it is for you but it it looks well thought out and kind of considered in how you present yourself i'm just like i i get so overwhelmed by even the thought of doing a post yeah online that i'm just like fuck it i'm not bothered Good for you, or I don't know if that's it's not good. To say, it's, but... it's not good in a way because I can have to now. We're about to release a new album next year, that I'm. It's the the most proud I've ever been of anything. I'm super the happy demos with, are great. Thank you. I'm super super happy with the music, and it's like right. Well, if I want that to have any kind of impact, rather than just like a few thousand people, I have to play the game a bit. I have to get back on social media, you know, be active in a way that I haven't been for you know, almost the entire pandemic. When pandemic happened in March 2020, I didn't use social media for over a year because I felt I didn't need to anymore. 
the band is off the road. There's no pressure. It was like the most liberating feeling. Me and my brother didn't speak for an entire year. You know, and that was hugely healing for our relationship. And that's, I have a hundred percent sure that that's linked to the, you know, the length of time, but also just, oh, we were so stuck in this. God, we have to post something now or we have to do something now. It's super demanding on your, on your energy. And so then do you think that trans sort of, I don't know, transverse the two of you into a different space to make this new record? A hundred percent. Yeah. We started off, started this year hadn't spoken to each other for an entire year so it was around February, March this year and we were like hey how are you? how's your year been? it's been 10 years on the road together where we just saw each other like almost every day living in each other's pockets literally financially dependent on each other being brothers you know touring around the world living in tiny cramped vans and hotels and whatever like we've been doing that for 10 years non-stop and so when pandemic came, it was like, the, it was traumatic to the system because it was so used to being on the hyper, oh, where we go next? Okay, cool, cool, nice place. Okay, let's see the schedule. You know, to suddenly no schedules, no PDFs telling me where I'm going to be next week, no flights anywhere, and no relationship with my brother, actually, apparently. Because our relationship was so enmeshed with the job. And so a year later, it's like, hey, how, hey Alfie, how are you? How's life been? The record label seems to want to still work with us. We were surprised by that. Well, we better do something. So, <laughs> so we started like sharing ideas with each other. Demos that we'd written or little voice memos. And put them all up on Dropbox. He lives in the UK. I'm here in Berlin. And we just made demos over a Zoom from February till April, May. And then went and recorded it in June in in the UK and again in August and we finished an album. It was the quickest process we've ever done. How do you make a demo over Zoom? Did you patch in or you just did one part and laid it over and then... Yeah, you just click track, done, everything's done to a grid or whatever. And Alfie will be like, here, here's the guitar, it's the tempo's 104 BPM, stick it in your session. Uh, I do, I'll do a vocal as well, I'll send it over to you later, but you can just play with this guitar. We kind of just collaborated. So you speak the same language? You've been practicing that language. Yeah, but we've we've been put into hard working songwriting session type things, like going to yeah, hit makers that the record label sends you into, like go and write with this person. We we have been doing that for years and years. So this was the first time since we were kids that we were both sitting down together again and kinda of going like, What do we wanna say? How do we wanna sound? And it was just this natural thing evolved and we found this perfect kind of collaborator, producer person who we always wanted to work with. And we did it. <laughs> I'm so happy with it, Brody. Like, I'm like so excited and I really feel like it deserves to be heard more than anything else that we've ever done because it has so much of our heart in it. There's no, comp- there's no compromises made in the sound. It's just like, feels feels like right. It feels mature. It doesn't feel too try hard. It doesn't feel like the old energy of the old songs and the old music. Lovely songs, but the recordings just scream. Love me, love me. You know, I want to be the biggest thing. This is just like, hmm, whatever. If it works, it works. We love it. If you if if you like it, great. You Isn't know? that the way? And and it was so healing because of the songs as well. Like the songwriting was like a conversation between me and Alfie a lot of the time. You know, 
as the lyrically and musically. Lyrically and musically, yeah. So yeah. It was really cool to hear them, then to hear you play, and to know who you like, and that I, we also like a lot of the same, obviously. Um, yeah, I can really feel your, uh, yeah, the Paul Simon in you. I can, I can mm. hear. Yeah, it was so cool to, <laughs> to get in touch with you and be like, I don't know what you said. I don't know how it started, but let it be came up or whatever and the fact that you were watching this thing on apple tv of which is six hour like the full Beatles thing yeah, yeah 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 and like that's just of course i would watch that like there's not even a inkling that i wouldn't just sit and i wouldn't even gorge it i would just like it would just be like sitting with my friends like that like oh that's what it feels like yeah, yeah i bet it does yeah and of course you're watching that you know like that's i'm watching it and i'm projecting hugely onto it my experience with my brother because paul and john in that you just get the sense of they're they're like brothers they have this like beautiful connection. And the thing about me and Alfie is that we, we have our differences and we were made by our record labels to portray this kind of clean outfit thing. They never, it was never expressly stated, but like we could have really done with just being told, why don't you just play up the enmity a little bit? Like the brotherly enmity, like, you know, Noel and Liam and, you know, the Everly brothers or whatever, just like play that up a little bit. That could have been really good for us because we just pretended like everything's fine all the time. We'd do an interview and they'd say, and how did you get on as brothers? And we'd be like, kind of skirting around, like, ah, it's fine, we're good, we're great. We weren't. We weren't getting on very well at all for years. But this experience of seeing the Beatles doing their thing, what I do know and recognise now is that every time, pretty much without fail, that me and my brother go on stage, no matter what was going on before, even if we just had a fight right before stage time, we'd go on stage and we'd just drop in and nail it. And we'd get, we'd have these like smiles. We're standing right beside each other, facing outward. And like, you look to the side a little bit for a second, you see the side of your profile of your brother, you're singing in harmony. And then he turns and he gives you a little smile. <laughs> and it was just the most heartwarming recognition, seeing that in the Beatles guys, seeing, just being completely humbled. Like I love the Beatles and I didn't realize how much of a, of course, they're just friends. They're just mates playing. When, when me and my brother get together and we have our friends and our band playing with us, it's just fun. So much fun. I've been listening to later George stuff. Oh, yeah? Which is great. And, like, the very first thing after, or at least the first thing that I found after they broke up is, like, this crazy noise record. And oh, then, yeah, it, yeah. then it goes into 72 and it gets into all things, like, all the big mm-hmm. double record stuff and all and. and and go, it just becomes even more spiritual and stuff. Yeah. Uh, themed anyways and experiential, I'm sure. From, yeah, from you got to see this. Going docu- you got to see this documentary. And you were saying it was interesting because they played up in that short documentary, The Fight. Yeah. And that, in the long one, you said it was just this little like, oh. Well, in the long one, in the context of, the six, in the context of six hour long thing, <laughs> yeah, they still leave you on a cliffhanger at the end of the first episode thinking, oh, fuck, he left. And then you go to the next episode and like within 20 minutes, it's kind of solved. But... It was just, yeah, I think the whole thing just really brought home the fact that anything is possible for any human, human beings are capable of so much, like just when they have the ability to give the time to do it, you know, what, what recovery has done for me is it's like given me this like ability to just like enjoy what I'm doing. I got it check my privilege a little bit and feel a bit like holy shit I'm grateful for this because so many people are stuck working shitty jobs and they and you know I used to ask people like would you not just like practice the piano or like 
play guitar like you you know you you like it and they're like oh, I'm just too tired and I couldn't I could never right. resonate with that yeah but now I understand like most of our society the 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 the, the, the fucking tidal wave that is the capitalist model that we live under is people are totally swamped and wrecked and they have no time to do any of this stuff when you see the Beatles yeah. in their prime they've got loads of money around them they just get to have fun they're spending hours and hours and hours working on one song of course yeah. it's going to end up being the best thing in the world do they look like they're enjoying it yeah they're having, <laughs> they're having great crack they're just making jokes they're playing covers the whole time you know that, that's my favourite thing side hustle side hustle when we, when we would like do re- rehearsals for gigs is when one person just starts playing like a famous cover song or whatever and you just have a little tangent when you go off and play a cover song for a sec bring some new energy in yeah and, and just watching the Beatles do that, you're like, oh, they, of course, they just are normal people. <laughs> I've, I've elevated them to a godlike status, but they're just yeah. friends, talented musicians that were just having a crack. What year was it that John was murdered? Was it? 80? It was 80. I think so, yeah. I was listening to the seventy the 76 record, um, New York. Is it mm-hmm. New York or is it called Manhattan? I think it's New York and there's a song called Manhattan on it. Mm-hmm. It's either one or the other. Um and it kind of looks like a, a faux version of the New York Times mm. of the two of them on it. You've obviously gone and seen, you've gone into Central Park. Been to Strawberry Fields and stuff, yeah. Oh, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. has to be done. And you've gone to the, what, what's the hotel? Is it the, it's on the corner. It's on the west, it's on the west side you of see, the park. It's like I 54th or something. You see, I haven't been in the States sober. Oh, yeah. As far as like, you yeah, haven't been, I so haven't been so in America. The last time I was in America was on a tour where I was just kind of maybe giving a go at trying to be sober. And uh, so most of my time spent in the States on the tours I've been on were just piss ups. I was getting drunk all the time. So I didn't do much touristy stuff, you know. Do you have places you feel like you haven't spent enough time in because of the nature of being maybe a using party musician or for that matter just always being in and out, being on tour? Big you... time. Like when you, you've really got to make an effort when you're doing city to city each day or one day or two days in a city. You have to, you have to make an effort to, to sightsee, to get away from a hotel. Usually in a hotel on the fucking arse end of nowhere, the back you know, somewhere in the suburbs to get an Uber usually because America has no tra- transport system. Get an Uber into town and, and, and really have to make an effort to do that stuff. So if you're hungover, waking up at midday, you've missed the entire thing. Your sound check's at four or five. You're like, I'm not going to do any sightseeing, you know. So I did I did a lot of touring where I just didn't see see the places I was in at all. So you've already missed the continental breakfast, that's for sure. You slept <laughs> yeah. through that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My yeah. goodness, dude, we could... I we mean, could talk for hours. Yeah, we can. Um, gratefully. I mean, there's no, there's nowhere to stop, which is so nice due to the ongoing connection that we continue to develop, which is so nice. Mm. Um, but for the purposes of, a, <laughs> of, of the podcast listening experience, perhaps we could... Well, we have knocked out some long ones in the past or I was like, holy shit, Hannah, that was two hours. And we, Hannah has, Hannah has the gift of gab for sure. Sure. I think we're coming up on that, are we? Yeah, I think we are actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, what a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank Dude, you, thank so, you much. so much. I'm also, my whistle needs to be wet. Mm. I'm definitely ready to drink some water. Me too. 
thank you so much. I don't, I mean, really, there's nowhere, there's really actually nowhere to stop. Yeah. Because there's no stop. Yeah. Which is really nice. Thank you so much. Are you warm enough? Are you okay? Feeling great. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for having yeah, me. Yeah, my pleasure. Beautiful. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>